al millón y hacia Nikita. Hi, Howard. I'm going to ignore Knut the whole podcast. This guy's muffed up this whole Israeli call. He's looking at me like he's denying that he muffed it up. He's blaming it on our guest. No, I'm not blaming it on anybody. It's technical stuff. Sometimes there's no such thing as tech. It's 2021. This isn't like 1999. We're having technical issues and we haven't had coffee. (laughs) This is. I just took a Ritalin. I just went, I powered through coffee with the Ritalin. Thank God there's foam on the wall. So speaking of foam, FOMO. See what I did there? All right. Speaking of, we have a, one of my good friends. Well, I like him. I don't know if we're good friends anymore. He's very successful. I met him in 2010. He was yelling about Bitcoin. I said, leave me alone. I was in Israel. He, his name is Yoni Asia. He and his brother Ronan founded eToro which now is in, yeah, I don't know, he'll know, he checks. It's somewhere between 10 and 11 or so billion dollar brokerage and crypto exchange. Uh, very early to crypto, he's been on the Panic podcast before, right at the bottom when we were doing Panic and talking to smart people about Panic. Now there's different Panics. There's rockets, there's uh, taxes. <laughs> A little different rockets to taxes. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I'm glad you made the pivot. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, they're one and the same. And uh, there is uh, Biden. And then there's COVID. Wow. Yeah. Again, a little bit of a leap. So uh, I want to talk to Yoni, get caught up on the world of trading. Maybe some opinions on GameStop and NFTs. And very early, um, Vitalik worked for him one summer. Mm-hmm. You only paid him in Bitcoin, I think, and and we can talk a little bit about that. Uh, and uh, life of COVID and someone uh, in Israel. Yoni's used to being on a plane, I don't know, two weeks a month, and he's been stuck at home with his five kids. They just keep having kids. Uh, <laughs> so we'll check in and see how many kids they have, too. Could be eight by this point. Uh, and his wife's a great entrepreneur as well, I Angels. Um, so anyways, here, let's get Yoni on the phone. How are you doing, Howard? <laughs> Why, when you've got uh, rockets coming at you, are you panicked about Doji? First of all, pa- rockets stopped. Yes, good. Uh, and you really wanted me to panic about something, so I decided to use Dogecoin because everybody, every, every journalist I recently talked to, uh, I was talking to me about Dogecoin, uh, and, and when people constantly talk to me about something. And a specific thing, uh, I, I panic about it a little bit. So I, I, th- I think it's an interesting phenomena. Um, and we've seen a lot of people from all around the world, from Philippines to Asia to Latin America, Africa, Europe, and the U.S. excited about Dogecoin. And uh, I, I think it's, it's interesting. And, and I'm actually surprised that I haven't seen this phenomena coming earlier i mean for me it's just a surprise how big that community is um and and one surprising member of that community is worth 200 billion dollars which changes a bit the average uh, wealth of the entire community yeah it's it's like a religion all these things are a little bit like religions right they have their story their origin story you can believe it the code is you know, you, it's kind of like the Bible. You know, is there a code? Um, where's Doji the most popular? Is it the U.S. or somewhere else that you're seeing? I, I think it's de- definitely we've seen a lot of traction in the U.S. for Doge, but we have seen a, a global, a very quick adoption of Doge from our crypto uh, and stock investors all around the world. And you've been in Bitcoin since day one, like 12 cents, I remember you telling it to me. But of all the people along the way, including today, who's the most interesting character through it all? 
Uh, I mean, generally, I'm a you know I'm I'm a bit of a Vitalik uh, uh, fan. Um, I, I think Vitalik might be remembered in 50 years like one of the top minds of our uh, I don't know decade or more. Uh, so I, I think there's a high probability. You know, if you always think 50 years from today, who are we going to remember as sort of the Einsteins of this era? I'd say there's a probability that Vitalik is one of them, but that might be because I'm a bit biased because, you know, he worked a bit at Etoro and colored coins and I followed him and I read his articles and I read his blog. And I can't say that I, I read anything uh, as deep as sort of uh, some of his analysis on, on blockchain uh, in general, uh, because I'm not that geeky. So, so maybe it's that bias, but I think that he is definitely one of the most interesting people uh, in the blockchain industry. And, and I think there's only one who recently surpassed him, who suddenly sort of joined the uh, crypto wagon, and that's uh, Elon Musk. That's definitely a new interesting character to crypto. In because do you think he cares or do you think because he can in co-opting it? I I think it's definitely the richest person to proactively talk about Bitcoin, Ethereum, and definitely Dogecoin. So so you know if if you think of a strength of a community by the number of people in the community and their average wealth. The Doge community went through a significant uptick in the average wealth of that community once Elon Musk started tweeting about Dogecoin, uh, not once and not twice, but, but several times. Um, so it, maybe even I would say the total assets of an entire crypto community could be challenged by now the Doge community just because of him. So that's definitely an interesting thing that we haven't seen before. We've seen Jack from Twitter talking about Bitcoin, when you think of Jack's wealth versus Bitcoin market cap, and when you think about Elon's worth versus Doge market cap, it's, it's, it's a very uh, different narrative. Um, and, and we just haven't seen, you know, you haven't seen Bernard Arnault or Jeff Bezos. Good point. Or Warren Buffett or Bill Gates being bullish uh, about uh, crypto in general or a specific crypto. So this is the first top 10 rich person in the world, top five rich person in the world, maybe the richest one, taking uh, uh, such an interest into crypto and then specifically into one of what was a, a low cap crypto and now a large cap crypto doge. Yeah, I was thinking Sam and Solana, Sam at FTX and Solana as well. I had Sam on, so I was thinking them as well. Not as well known, but you know, basically lifting up Solana. I love, I love Sam, definitely one of the most influential people in cryptocurrency, definitely one of the most talented people in cryptocurrency, but Sam is still not as wealthy as Elon. Yeah, 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 yeah. But kind of one man band helping Solana, you know, over Ethereum, pushing that wave. He needs to get on SNL and call that Solana is a hustle. <laughs> <laughs> so what has surprised you the most? Because we talked to you in March during COVID. I mean, you and I both have been in the brokerage, you know, uh, mobile brokerage space. Obviously, you started eToro, and, and it's back in 2007 that you started it. So give, give just give people a little quick history of what got you excited about starting a brokerage. Because it started out really as currencies, because that was pre-crypto 2007. And so what got you excited 2007 to start this? So... Vitoro today is the world's largest social trading network where we have 20 million registered users who can trade commission-free stock trading uh, from U.S. securities to European and Asian securities alongside cryptocurrencies, commodities, indices, and currencies. And the unique part of the network is everybody can see what everybody's trading their track record and automatically copy the most successful investors in the network. And as you remember, when you met me when I was much younger, uh, and I think this was my late 20s. I was always passionate about capital markets. I love capital markets. Uh, um, I, I started investing in the stock markets when I was 13. And I started a company together with Ronen, um, my older brother, who always used to make fun of me that I have an accountant fetish, that I sit in front of multiple screens with charts and Excels 
And he said, you know, it just looks like the most horrible user experience I've seen in my life. And, and that's what got us passionate about this, you know, this market at the first place was how can we simplify the user experience to enable millions of users, tens of millions of users from all around the world to participate in the global market, which again, I, I personally think it is a great thing for more retail investors to participate in, in the retail uh, in capital markets, whether it's capital markets, stock markets, or crypto markets, I think it's just important for people to understand how money works. I think taking this now back to 2020, we used to say that 2020 was the rise of millennial investors year. So, uh, and I think we, we talked the last podcast about this was really the deep, I don't remember whether within that deep of capital markets when we had the last call, we already saw sort of the inflection point because March 2020 was for eToro an inflection point. Correct. Where we saw the largest amount of customers coming to eToro within a single month since the first crypto rally. And, and that seemed to us like an outlier that eventually became sort of reality because throughout the entire 2020, what we've seen is the increase in retail participation in the markets, and we've seen it all around the world, in the stock markets, in specifically US stock markets. We've seen dozens of thousands of people coming to buy Tesla in one month or buying uh, oil in another month or buying Neo, which is the Chinese version of Tesla another month. So we've just seen a significant uptick in our business, which resulted as uh, publicly stated in our pipe investment deck, which is in, on, on investors.etoro.com, since we recently yep. announced the SPAC transaction, um, then we've seen revenues grow 147% in 2020 and a significant rise in, in millennial investors or retail investors. And that brought us to 2021 to really a perfect storm that... I could have only imagined such a perfect storm, you know, throughout the company uh, building, which is crypto markets at all times high with crypto rally 2.0 upon us. Uh, and I don't think it's over yet. So we, we did see a correction last week, but all in all, I think crypto markets are still uh, significantly in the news with nice valuations to them. With stock markets and all times high, and more than that, I would say a widespread, probably the biggest discussion in human history on the value of money and how money works and what is money. And I think a deeper understanding, maybe deeper than our parents and our grandparents and any other generation, I think a generation now understands better than any other generation in human history or recent human history, that money, that dollars or euros or pounds lose their value over time. And if you want to preserve the value of your assets, of your money, you have to invest it. Whether it's the stock markets, whether it's the crypto markets, you have to do something with your money in order for your money not to lose its value. And I think obviously the six to eight trillion dollars of unprecedented money printing all around the world uh, had ha has had its contribution to that widespread understanding of the meaning of inflation, and that obviously led to a significant increase of total triple-digit growth rates in, in sort of retail investors' interest and participation in the market. But I think, I think we've seen it across several trading platforms out there. And again, I think in general, it's a good thing. We're big believers and always have been in the importance of retail participation in capital markets. I think it's a very important pillar of capital markets that has been left uh, alone on the side for a, a very long time. And I think the awakening and the rise of millennial and retail investors all around the world, it is, it, we're seeing the beginning of it. Totally agree. I mean, you and I have been doing this since the beginning, me with StockTwits and eToro and Robinhood and now Alpaca and Rally Road. Are you making investments or are you just 100% on eToro? Um, first of all, my profile is public. So you are more than welcome to go to eToro.com slash Dionysia to see all of my investments. Oh, right. All of my public markets and crypto markets investments are 
live uh, on my profile. Can I short that portfolio? Uh, that, that's a very bad recommendation. My average <laughs> IRR over the past nine years is 45% IRR. It is amazing. I was, there, I was there checking it out. I just did I did 82% this year, 130 last year. So don't, don't short my portfolio. Don't listen to Howard. That's a very bad <laughs> advice. Hang on. Why aren't you writing a op-ed to Chamath comparing your portfolio to his portfolio? <laughs> It's a, it's an interesting question, which I will not comment on. <laughs> I know you won't comment on You're such a diplomat. Here's the Yoni that's now not as much fun as the Yoni that I knew. Uh, but anyways, what do you remember the first time? It's the, it's the, it's the public market Yoni. Know, public market Yoni is correct. sad Yoni. But I'm happy with being public market Yoni. I still get to be asshat Howard. Of all the people you've met, and I'll put I'll, let me put them in order. There's Warren Buffett. There's of course me, Howard Lindzen. There's Vitalik. There's Tepper. There's uh, Loeb. Maybe he came to Israel. Um, who's the most interesting conversation around investing you've had? That is a great question. I, I would say around investing, the most influential conversation I had was Warren Buffett. I know you were really into it. I was kind of disturbed by that, but obviously he's great. So, so what was it? So I, I, we have been in the business of promoting. By the way, you how close were you to him? Like, like uh, across the table, or like was he a close talker? How close were you to him? No, no, this was a, a small table of five people. So this was an open conversation. And obviously, as an Israeli, I couldn't shut my mouth. So it was a very open, open and, discussion. And there are rumors he has bad breath. True, not true. Uh, I, I could not true. Okay, and then that he has an immense amount of ear hair. True, not true. I I have to say that I have a tendency when I sit in front of people worth ten billion and above to not notice. Okay, I have a tendency to just focus on that. Okay, so we know where this is why I'm not a public market CEO. So uh, all right, so he's talking to you, his breath is okay, his man he's somewhat groomed or you didn't notice. And so you're concentrating and what, what did he say that was so important? So we were we were all crypto evangelists coming to the table to try and convince him that there's value in, in Bitcoin, which was uh, extremely unsuccessful. Um, and I think the most important part I took from there um, is is my understanding of the value of I would generally say investing in the stock markets and value investing. And not necessarily only value investing, but of how strongly he speaks about what he considers a fact, which is it's simple to invest in the stock markets if you're willing to learn and and, and read financial reports of companies. And it, it if and if you're willing to do that and educate yourself, then uh, you should be able to generate double-digit returns in the markets. And his confidence um, of, you know, I would say 100% confidence that if you give him money today, he'll generate double-digit returns over the next 20 and 30 years. And I think that's a part of the thesis in, in what we've built in eToro because, you know, we're, we're seeing popular investors who on average generated the people being copied on eToro 51% returns last year. But we have always received some criticism from sort of the financial institutions, from uh, professional money managers, talking about the fact that retail investors can't make money. And I think that also speaks about what we're seeing right now with the rise of retail investors. I think I feel more confident today than ever before that the people who Onitoro generated double-digit returns over the past five years have a high probability of generating double-digit returns over the next five years, just as hedge fund managers uh, can. Um, and, and I think that's a big part of what's driving the rise of retail investors. And I, I know it's easy to say, okay, that's because we're in the bull market of both crypto markets and stock markets for the past 10 years. But I think that understanding worldwide 
not only in the U.S., where I think it's almost a part of culture that you can make money in Wall Street. I think that rise in understanding that people can make money in the markets. I think that for me was a a, a profound part of the of the dialogue with Warren Buffett, and, and I'm saying that because it's what I've been doing for the past 14 years in eToro. But I had to meet one of the top investors, if not the top investor in the world. Um, uh, to sort of realize how confident you can be in both understanding that and saying it. Yeah, it's a good answer. The It's interesting, though, because I've always heard Warren Buffett say for the retail guy to, you know, just index, right? Like he says, you can't read the financial statements because you won't be able to beat the market. Unless you invest in Berkshire Hathaway stock, right? <laughs> Yeah. So there's oh, there's always buy. I think what Warren Buffett is saying and said in the last uh, shareholders meeting is that intensive trading uh, doesn't necessarily uh, result in, in in good performance. And I think that's obvious from a very long term investors to say that. I think there are different type of investors in the markets. Everyone have their own sort of skill and that that skill is different between different investors. By the way, I'm not saying anybody, you know, not anyone can just go up and cherry pick any stocks they want and can be successful. Only one out of a thousand investors on our platform become popular investors that are successful over time and get copied over time. But each has its own skill. I also met uh, Bernardo No, uh, who at some point was the richest person in the world, I think recently. So uh, overthrowing Elon and Jeff. Um, and, and their view is investing in fashion and brands uh, and generally sort of growth of retail, which, by the way, if you talk about that with most technology investors, they'll completely disregard that part of the industry. But, uh, you know, one of the richest person in the world, if not the richest one, is actually a person who's selling Louis Vuitton. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I've, I've talked about fashionology forever, from Oakley to Nike to Peloton now to, I, I call it fashionology because it's right. Apple's a fashion. Al, Apple's Louis Vuitton just with chips and, and screens. And there's going to be way more, but it won't be the size of Apple, but Apple's basically Louis Vuitton of tech. And so Peloton is up there and Nike and Lulu. Uh, and now Lulu with the mirror. If you walk into a Lulu store, they have the mirror, you know, yeah. things. So so fashion is seeping into technology. So it's so interesting. I wonder if Louis Vuitton should go by uh, at this point and, and do a phone. Uh, <laughs> no, seriously. Like if you go to a mall right now in the United States, there's lines right, at I, the Louis Vuitton store. Yeah, like I lines. Saw. So that's an interesting, and that must have been an interesting conversation. Is he French? You met him in Paris or, or no? Yeah, I, I, I met him in Paris. I, I got to know better the fashion industry, by the way, which is a very interesting part of, of stock markets. There are yeah. a lot of interesting uh, stocks yeah. or, or stonks, if you would, um, <laughs> that are focused on that. Obviously, LVMH being one of the biggest of those, but you know, you have Herbie's under uh, Armour, Ralph Lauren, uh, Levi's, you have Puma, you have Nike, you have Gap, uh, you know, Adidas, a lot of these companies are publicly traded and definitely companies that every retail investor can read their reports. And by the way, one of the best, uh, a good friend of mine works at Nike and sort of, I've seen a lot of their sort of internal communication, external communication, these are companies who really devote a lot of energy into brand strategy, long-term marketing. So, you know, they think in terms of 10 years ahead, more, more than smaller tech companies, maybe companies like Microsoft and Apple. But if you think about the scale of how much do they invest in the, you know, the vision of the company and connecting their consumers a lot of investors can really relate to a lot of the investor relations communication of, of fashion, of the big fashion companies. Yeah. Switching quickly to crypto, you know, we're at the beginning of the beginning or, or some kind of, you know, new bear market in the summer. I think it's more the beginning of the beginning. Yesterday was Goldman Sachs with the report. 
and Pimpin' Mike Novogratz and all the same, you know, I call them raccoons. Other people call them oracles. Uh, you have my friend Raul at Real Vision, very bullish. All the global macro guys are now bullish. Uh, you have, obviously, retail remains bullish. You have Carl Icahn saying he wants to get involved finally. Um, when did you, what was your moment? 2010, where the white paper, who got you interested originally? No, I, I, I got interested. I, I wrote about our social impact, pro, what eventually became our social impact uh, charity project, The Good Dollar, back in 2008. So in 2008, as a fintech entrepreneur dealing with the world of currency trading, I got to realize how broken the current financial services industry is. And I started writing about how do we need to change that industry. And I think blockchain technology in general is definitely the manifestation of, of, of that vision, but obviously the vision of many, many others, which is the world of finance needs to be digital native. It needs to work 24 seven un yep. uninterrupted yeah. without any manual interference. It needs to be global. You need to be able to transfer any asset you hold 24 seven needs to be semi real time. There shouldn't be any T plus one or T plus two. And I, I, I think that's really what FinTech geeks are looking into this technology and saying, wow, everything is real time. Everything is 24 seven. Everything is global. Uh, you know, it's, uh, you can encapsulate any asset on this, whether it's Bitcoin or Ethereum or, uh, you know, USDC or art or real estate. So I think everybody's excited about where this is going. I think it's inevitable. The future of digital native uh, finance is inevitable. Smart contracts uh, is, is basically just like it's You think about it saying like, what do you want to do? A smart contract or a dumb contract? Of course you want to do a smart contract. Of course you want to write contracts in code versus in, in you know, in English or legal English, which is 10 lines of code or a hundred pages of, of, of a legal document. So yeah. I, I think the future is inevitable. Finance is going to be digitized. It's going to be digitized in the form of something similar or blockchains. We're going to see smart contracts, which enable multi-party trend, complex transactions of global players from all around the world. Um, and, that, and, and that is a parallel track to, to Bitcoin. Uh, Bitcoin is simply, you know, uh, simply, but also uh, a very impressive store of value currency of the internet, hedge against governments, a deflationary asset that probably at least a billion people are aware of. Um, so I, I'm bullish both on Bitcoin, crypto markets in a general, but I'll add a disclaimer, and blockchain technology and the entire industry of companies working on this industry, which is probably going to have assets in the range of 100 to $200 trillion over the next 10 to 20 years. Having said that, that does not mean every cryptocurrency is currently undervalued. I've seen a lot of froth in the markets until the 12th of May. I've seen a lot of people starting to do investments that reminded me of uh, the crazy markets of 2017, where people were just investing. So we went from ICOs to IOs to IDOs. Yeah. So just investing recklessly uh, and uh, making money recklessly. And when people make money recklessly, it's usually a good signal of them. So I think the correction was due. I think we've seen a correction. And then I'm extremely biased in saying I don't think we're going into a bear market. I think we've, we're seeing a healthy correction and civilization of the markets before they can uh, go back to their trajectory. But, but we definitely have seen some altcoins reaching unreasonable valuations. Yeah. What's amazing is how early you got so many of these things right. And how fast things are really going, but how fat, how slow it still feels. But Visa wasn't built overnight. Microsoft wasn't built overnight. The internet wasn't built overnight. Google wasn't built overnight. Now, one thing about those companies, oh, Google, Microsoft, they did a lot of acquisitions. And, you know, one thing I had Sam from FTX on my show, and, and Yoni and I fought over this over the years, Nikita and Knut, and I'm really proud of uh, Yoni, obviously. 
Uh, I'm lucky to have met him, and it's been like, I've only known him maybe 11 years, but it hasn't been like an overnight success. I mean, it was an overnight success in the sense that you were profitable and you know how to make money and you had uh, a good business, but, uh, you know, it's easy for me to call up and to say, you only do this, you know, you got to be more bold about this. But uh, the end results are phenomenal. I mean, it's really an accomplishment to get yourself listed here in the United States here where you're months away from being listed, I guess. Is it, is it listed or not yet? We're in the transition from a private company to a public company. We're very excited about uh, the, the transaction. We're very excited about uh, going public through merging with Fintech 5 at the $10.4 billion valuation. Um, generally, the way SPAC markets work, and if you want, I noticed your Twitter handle was SPACmania or SPACHoward <laughs> for a while. We can talk Slack a bit Daddy. about SPAC. Yep. SPAC Daddy. Uh, we can talk a bit about SPACs. Um, I, I think in general, the way SPACs work is once announced, Invest retail investors can invest in uh, the ticker of the SPAC itself, and assuming the merger completes, they will become uh, investors uh, of the entity that merges post announcement. Obviously, this is uh, this has some risk with SPAC investors of post announcement. It's just a question of whether the merger happens. Pre announcement, it's a question of whether the sponsors are going to find uh, a good investment. Have you found a good investment to your SPAC, Howard, already? Can't. Come on. Nice trick question. <laughs> <laughs> yes, please. Yeah, cuff me, Knut. Let's go. But, but in general, <laughs> as I know, as I know, as I know, you're a SPAC sponsor as well. Yeah. I'll just say, in general, I think it drove the entire IPO market and going public market over the last 12 months. Uh, uh, very good sponsors came into the market, uh, blazing, raising money to their SPACs and convincing private companies to go public. I think in general, if you think again about retail investors, retail investors have lost the opportunity to invest in the majority of large-scale valuations over the past uh, at least five years where everything really stayed in the realm of private equity slash VC slash growth investors. Correct. So the fact that uh, a new type of vehicle, get uh, not so new, but new in its scale, has been able to accelerate the transition of a lot of companies from the private markets to the public markets I think is generally a good thing for retail investors yeah. because they have that opportunity. Does it mean usually or earlier stage companies also means higher risk, but some of those companies are not necessarily early stage. I think Grab is going for a spec at a $40 billion valuation. Yeah. So that's not necessarily an early stage company. Um, and, and usually the price should reflect a discounted IPO price if everybody have, have done the work so, uh, properly. So I, I think there are interesting investments, uh, post-announcement SPACs, pre-announcement SPACs. You should tell me if there are any good investments. Yeah, we're, um, we're, we're saying, Nikita and I just were thinking about putting money to work because now the stuff is training at a discount. What I, what I was going to tell you is how we both have come full circle. Uh, two, three years ago in the summer, I remember scabbing a falafel or a hot dog in Times Square with, uh, not Times Square, yeah, you're right at Times Square-ish with Yoni, and he was catching me up on, you know, I was bugging him to come to the U.S. as I always do. Uh, not him personally, he can fucking stay where he wants, but the company. Uh, I'm not in charge of Yoni and his 17 kids. <laughs> but uh, how many kids is it, by the way? Is it 8, 9, 11? Only 5. It's 5 kids and fintech number 5. Ooh, all right. <laughs> And I have five toes, so it's all meant to be. So we're sitting there, and you're telling me about a SPAC, and I was shaking my head. I said, don't do it. This is like three years ago. I didn't know. You didn't drop Betsy's name because I was like the Canadian. It was like, dude, you, you know, you can do better. <laughs> and I got religion during COVID because, like you, I was just fed up. And then Chamath put a, some kind of face to this because I grew up in Canada, and, and SPACs were a bad thing. And then I started bugging you maybe a year ago to say, Yoni, you really need to consider this. It's a, it's a way to go faster. And, and you go, Howard, remember, I told you about this two, three years ago. And then I met Betsy through Ryan Gilbert, 
who you know, Yoni, as well, who can drive anybody crazy, but is a great salesman. Um, and then this whole phenomenon took off. So, so you kind of saw it early. I was like anti it. Then I came on board now, and now I believe it's a feature, not a bug. It'll be used good and used bad. There's a bad swiping and, and good swiping. And eToro's good swiping. And Betsy is a good swiper. So I'm a big believer in this feature. And growing up in Canada, I should be the last guy to be a big believer. But at the same time, reckless behavior, reckless profits led to where we're at now, where good names are traded, good people like Firstmark are trading below NAV. So it's a little bit scarier time. And, and now you have to pull your, you know, if you ask me, I would say if I was going to make a bet right now on like, value versus SPAC value, I'll take some SPAC value because I'd like to bet on some people that are trading below NAV, you know, with the trust, you know, being able to liquidate at 990. So, um, so that's the way I see it. Do you see the same way? Obviously, you're happy that you did it. Betsy's a great person. They've got a great team. Is it more nervous? I say this to people, you only myself, like with Robin Hood or Ritoro, I'm so close to being wealthy that it's like really scary. It's like, you know, there's sharks in the water and you know a boat's coming and it's the scariest time uh, because you don't want to get eaten just before uh, the boat arrives. So you don't want anything bad to happen when you're so close to the end zone. What? How does it feel like for you? Does it just feel like normal or does it feel like, um, like how, how, how do you time the process here? You just don't know? I think the process is, is relatively known. And I think, you know, the, like, Probably every founder CEO, I think it is a very exciting and stressful the transition from private company to a public company. I'm super excited about it because I've been a fan of public companies and the public markets for a very long time. Um, I'm getting older now at 40, uh, so 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 it's time. Um, but so I'm I'm very excited about uh, uh, this next stage of growth of Vitoro and. It's always fun to hear you saying over a podcast that, you know, I told you about Bitcoin on time, you didn't listen, but I was right. I told you on SPACs on time, you didn't listen, but I was right. I think there's a couple of others like Tesla as well. So you should invite me more to podcasts and just actually trade what I'm telling you. Why don't I take your job for a month and you take my job <laughs> and see what happens. See if I can wreck your company in one month. That would be a cool experiment. The laughing sounds like a no. I definitely agree with everything you said about specs. I think it's a, I think there's also an interesting gap right now for those who don't entirely understand. And I, you had a couple of podcasts in specs, so we don't need to get it all the way into it. But I think the pipe markets have their investors, yep. right? It's the private placement investors. I think the public markets have their investors, whether it's the hedge funds or the mutuals who invest in publicly traded companies. And I think that the amount of money right now, which is post-stack, pre-completion of the deal, is bigger than the actual available funds that are designated to invest in, in these type of vehicles, mm -hmm. which represent a potential opportunity for retail investors, but also potentially new type of institutional investors, because I, I agree, if anything trading under NAV is always an interesting trade. Yeah. Is it more fun to have a falafel with me or Dan Loeb? I, I am not obliged to comment about that. Who is more likely to spill hummus on their shirt? You are much more likely to spill hummus. See, on your that is—I'm so proud of that. That is just <laughs> what makes me Howard. The <laughs> a couple more questions for you. Um, I was talking to Sam at FTX, and you've made some acquisitions yourself. But I would say they've been more bold than you. What is it about you that you're such a swashbuckler? But I feel that you're pretty still conservative. How how did you become so conservative? I'm conservative. Yes. Wow, really? You consider me Just because you have five oh kids God, doesn't mean you're a wild man. Just means you're a little lazy. Can I get a shirt? Howard Lindsay thinks I'm a conservative. <laughs> I didn't say a conservative politically. I just think a little bit conservative. What, from an investment point of view? From a speed and in investment. From the speed of, of what? Of investing in the no, market? Speed. Or not? 
the speed of which I think there's, you know, like I've always said, like you've got to be more aggressive around corp dev or whatever. You have your own style about doing that. And and people around you are being very aggressive, whether they're Coinbase or FTX. Is that is it just a different style? I mean, obviously you're profitable and, and you have a great business, but like how do you think about that in the future? I know you've made a few smaller acquisitions. Well, first of all, I'll, I'll take take that note. I'm going to print a shirt, Howard Lindsay, think I'm conservative, and I'm yep. going to wear it proudly to work. So my yep. my entire management team will start calling me conservative. Yep. Uh, I I think in general we have always found a, a more comfortable place with organic growth. Uh, we spend a lot on growing our business globally, organically. And up until recently, just really appreciated uh, our money on the balance sheet versus spending it on acquisitions. Okay. Um, we have said during uh, the roadshow for the pipe investment, I, I think we'll definitely a part of our excitement about thinking of the transition from a private company to a public company is our ability to do larger scale acquisitions uh, with a public currency, which will be our stock. So I, I think that's one of the reasons entrepreneurs should think of going public. And that's one of the reasons we're excited about this opportunity is to enable us to do large scale transformational uh, acquisitions. Having said that, I think there's a lot of growth in what we're organically doing all around the world in the US where we're seeing huge amount of growth, but also in, in Europe and Asia, Latin America as well. Okay, good answer. So take out US, UK, Germany, what part of the world would surprise people where people love to trade on eToro, crypto, et cetera? What parts, what, is there a country that surprises you or is a country that people will be surprised at? I think we see a lot of companies, Latin America, Asia, uh, even Africa trading. I think uh, we have a lot of big investors in the UAE. Uh, uh, we have a lot of excitement around, uh, well, I was surprised to find out a lot of UAE investors love Dogecoin. Uh, huh. That a bit surprised me. Uh, we are growing rapidly in Australia. Huh. I, I don't know whether a lot of people know that, but Australia is a huge Sure. Trading and investing market, a huge sort of superannuation pension fund, as well as a very uh, a sort of active trading mentality in Australia. So that for us has grown rapidly and our offices in Australia have grown uh, rapidly as well. Um, and across Europe, we've seen a lot of countries uh, very much excited around, again, a lot of the trends that you, you would consider things you read about in the news in the U.S. and you wonder, wait, is this happening all around the world? The answer is 100% yes. People from 100 countries bought Tesla Onitoro. People from 100 different countries bought GameStop Onitoro. Uh, people are looking into the same things. They're buying Bitcoin and Ethereum, Facebook, Google. Every single recent IPO has been successful. Onitoro, and we've seen retail investors Coming into it, uh, whether it's Peloton or Peloton or Palantir um, or Coursera, so I, I think here I see Palantir on Etoro has 3.3 million people following it. Hmm. So we've just seen the same trends. I think that are that you're seeing them in the U.S. news. We're seeing the same things happening globally in almost every single country uh, uh, in the world. Phenomenal. Do you have any questions for Howie? Not ones that you'll be answering on this podcast. <laughs> no, you try me. I'm not. I can't talk about the SPAC. Nikita, <laughs> Nikita's here to prevent me from talking about the SPAC. But so what, do you, what do you think is the most interesting trend right now? Well, I talked about it with Sam, and I want to talk about it with you at FTX because I feel, and I have some, you know, my friend Ross Mason, who started MuleSoft, and I were just talking about, you know, 2017, they were, you know, when I was in Israel with you, people were pitching, oh, we're going to tokenize venture capital, and so we can, I think liquidity is the most important part, you know, and walk me through this, of this, like, and help me explain this to people, because I'm trying to 
always trying to help people understand this in English as you helped me over the years and Robin Hood and other people have helped me or I've helped them. Uh, but we got to explain this stuff in English. So in the, in the money world, we know that you said everything gets debased and, and that's why a store of value like crypto or Bitcoin right now is, is, is of, of some use, if not major use. Uh, but that can be said too of lumber and, um, all kinds of commodities right now. Um, but you know, when you have money, it's just lying around on your couch, your jars on, off the side in your car, lost, burned, uh, whatever, you know, but with crypto, everything's on the table. Like, you know, where everything is, it's in the digital world, right? Everybody's money's in, right? It's, it's seeable. If it's not seeable, it's countable and it's not lost. That, is a whole next layer of true liquidity because it's all accounted for and all lendable and all stakeable. And so that interests me. It's like AWS and something like we're all, all our pockets are lending every single ounce of crypto that's printed or mined or staked is out there. And so that's interesting to me because everything can be used, right? There's no waste, you know, how much money it costs to make a nickels in the United States in quarters every year. So in that world, that crypto is cool because now we can get money to the right people and anybody can lend everybody money. The other thing that seems interesting to me is the liquidity between private and public markets, right? Like I've got eToro, uh, it's year five, uh, I'd like to buy a house, whether I'm an employer or an investor, and there's just no way to do that. And so we've made some investments along that space and over the years like AngelList and SecFi. But like now that the exchanges like you and FTX and, and Binance per se and Coinbase, but specifically you because you're so global, um, that bringing liquidity like that bridge from private to public seems to be like the thing that most interests me. And is that stuff that, that interests you? Like we've seen Carta do it and I don't really believe Carta is going to be the one. And AngelList has tried, and now F FTX, you can trade Robinhood. Like, what's the future there? First, I 100% agree that that is a very interesting, you know, shift. I, I think it's somewhat similar to what we talked about with SPACs, right? We talked yeah. about accelerating companies from the private to the public. What you're saying, which is 100% correct, is the real transition people want is moving from privately owned companies to the ability to invest in their companies for retail investors. Maybe they don't care about whether the company is public or not. They just want the opportunity to invest in the company, which is what is you know, retail investors in private equity, in VCs, yep. in private shares. I'm a very big believer that that is a part of the future of tokenization of assets. I think yep. it's going to take a bit longer just due to the fact that it's a highly regulated industry, which is hugely because of that fragmented into the securities laws, you know, over the 50 or hundred different regulators out there. So it's, it's going to take a while, but it's definitely a part of how blockchain is going to add liquidity to many, many more markets. Yeah. Cause in the end, this is about liquidity. The more liquidity. It is about the interest of consumer. I, I would buy, 1% of a Van Gogh, if I could. Um, I think it's a great investment. And it's a, you know, if I could get with one my 1% of a Van Gogh, uh, also a nice uh, lithography on my wall saying I own that 1%. I, I think that's a, an amazing product. I think what Rally Road is doing, I think that's amazing what's happening in the NFT world. I think that's super interesting. If you think about it, the NFT world just accelerated like 200 years of what's happening in the super rich world of art and just translated it to the super rich world of cryptocurrency billionaires into NFTs See, and digital art. That's a good explanation, um, right? It's really for the one percenter still, but it's just crypto versus money art. Yep. It's it's exactly that. You know, we we probably have friends who can buy art and buy art, you know, at the, the seven digits and then and eight digits. Most people don't. Most people don't deal with art because it's hard to deal with art, especially with uh, art that acts as a store of value, which is mostly the most expensive art there is, unless you're really an expert and know how to cherry pick um, artists. And, and I think that's what we've seen. We've seen suddenly crypto billionaires simply act as billionaires. Yeah. 
Very interesting. Uh, last question. What's a city you got to travel around the world, um, but you've been, let's say you haven't been traveling pretty much for 14, 15 months. What's the city you miss the most, can't wait to go do? Not necessarily the city I miss the most, but the city I'm going to visit next week, which I haven't been in for years. Oh, yeah. I'm having dinner with you. Miami. Woo-hoo. I have not. Okay. Can we both agree? To- I haven't been in Miami since I was like 12. Let's let's both agree to wear white linen pants. Done. Done. So you'll be at the Bitcoin conference in Miami. That's right. I'm going to see you. We're, we're going to have dinner or, or falafel. If you can find falafel in Miami. I'll have it flown in just for you. It's like, a, it's, like a, it's like Scarface. They'll bring you a falafel. We'll go to the Babylon Club. So uh, are you vaping or not vaping right now? Is it pen in your mouth or out of your mouth? I will not comment about that. Not, but not just bad vaping, tobacco he's, vaping. He's, yeah, he's talking only about tobacco. I was only and talking I about tobacco. not comment about that. And luckily we're not on video. The uh, so you are you're hauling on a pipe. I, I thought I heard. I didn't know if it was heavy breathing or your pipe. And what are you in shape right now or not? I'm relatively in shape. <laughs> you've 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 had many different weights over the years, much like the price of Bitcoin. I, I, I'm still in better shape than you are, Howard. You're forty. okay so we will have a little we'll have a little hundred yard dash outside the hotel so you'll be in miami is anybody else from the team going or you yeah yeah, we have a a large team from our uh, u.s team coming to miami okay so i'll make sure we see you um and so miami is fun it'll be a little hot but you're used to the the heat but it'll be it'll be hot so are, are you speaking at the event or just coming to do meetings yeah, well, we're speaking. We have a couple of events where I'm going to send you an email of all of our events and we'll make sure I'll go to your event and you'll come to mine. Okay, buddy. I will see you in America. See you next week. Bye, Bye. everyone. Bye. Bye. Thank you. Hey, he sounds so close. So that's Adio. You sound so close. So there you have it. Yoni Asia. Hey, it's the first time you've talked to him, madam. Yeah, he is just amazing. I'm so impressed. Yeah, he's only 40. His brother's hilarious, too. It's a good brother team. Built a great business uh, from day one, doing it differently than maybe I would. But that's why he's a billionaire, and I'm a thousandaire. So uh, there you have it. So uh, this is uh, Panic with Friends. Uh, We talked to founders like Yoni, investors, traders, entrepreneurs. Um, We've known him a while. We're trying to get some tips to how to make these things happen, how to manifest these great companies, how to get a little bit ahead of the markets. Uh, Search my name, Howard Linson, or Panic with Friends on Apple, Google, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app, and uh, subscribe. We come at you weekly. Thanks, Knut. Thanks, Nikita. Thanks, uh, StockTwits, and we'll see you next week. Howard Linson is the founder and general partner at Social Leverage. All opinions expressed by Howard and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinion of Social Leverage or StockTwits. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for decisions. Guests may maintain positions and securities discussed in this podcast.